0: Welcome to Discover Healthier. Everything you need to know about health, brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. Our wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. Many of us underestimate the fact that our mental health, which refers to our emotional, psychological and social well-being, is fundamental to our overall health. Our mental well-being affects how we think, how we feel and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to others and make life choices. It's about resilience and optimism, determination and growth. Maintaining our mental well-being means having the ability to thrive in our relationships and at work as well as play, despite the ups and downs of life and the challenges that come our way. You'll be amazed to know that a range of simple lifestyle habits can supercharge your mental well-being. Joining me now to explain what they are, are two dynamic women with a wealth of experience when it comes to mental health. I'm absolutely thrilled to be chatting to Professor Renata Skuman, a psychiatrist in private practice and head of the Healthcare Leadership MBA at the University of Stellenbosch Business School. Professor Skuman joins us on the line and she's with us from Cape Town. And I want to extend a warm welcome to clinical wellness specialist with Discovery Vitality, Dr. Saran Matilal, who is with me in studio. She is a clinical doctor with a diploma in mental health, and she has a master's in public health from Harvard. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Azania. Thank you,
2: Azania.
0: Hello, Saran. Just to give you the context. What we've done in the podcast, in the series, is that we've looked at mental illness. We've looked at the various disorders. We've looked at them in full and even spoken to people who suffer from mental illness. So this really forms a, a complement of a greater narrative. And I think it's a very important conversation around mental well-being. So maybe can we start by differentiating between mental illness and mental well-being? Saran, what are your thoughts when, when we put these two next to each other?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important um, that we in the beginning, differentiate the difference between mental health Mm -hmm. or mental well-being and mental illness or mental disorders. If we look at definitions, according to the World Health Organization, mental health is a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. Mental illness, on the other hand, is a biological condition of the brain that causes alterations in thinking, mood, or behavior, Mm. and, you know, some combination thereof. It's associated with significant distress and impaired functioning. I think it's essential we make this distinction because much of the development in the field of therapeutic psychology and psychiatry has sought to address mental disorders much less work has been done to address happiness or mental well-being. However, in the last two decades, new work has emerged and has begun to address this shortcoming. And, you know, that's largely what we will be discussing today.
0: Absolutely. Anything to add to this differentiation and understanding, Renata?
2: I think maybe we just look at wellness in a little bit bigger context. And Mm -hmm. people often think having medical insurance, guarantee, wellness, or health. That's not completely true. We need to look more holistic at individual health to, to really look at the full spectrum of wellness. And then we're really looking at identifying, addressing, and improving an individual's overall medical, lifestyle, behavioral, socioeconomic, cultural, financial, educational, geographic, and even environmental being to really look at Wellness, So it's way more than just your physical or your mental health, but really your wellness and the quality of life. And it's definitely not worth the problem that fix the problem. It's really a long-term investment mm. um, in your overall wellness as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting point that you make there because so often we think of our well being and we focus on things like building muscle or cardiac fitness, you know, things associated with the gym. The conversation is also centered around eating healthily. Uh, but you're saying that mental well being should be a big component, a big part of this basket of our overall well being. So, why should people care about mental well being?
2: I think the. The important thing is that we can look from it from a biological perspective in terms of how your mind and your brain and your body interact. And I often see and tell people that in psychiatry, people tend to focus on the brain. We can change the biology, but we cannot change our thoughts, the mind. That's where psychotherapy coming. in. Mm. But also if we do not look after our brain and our mind, it has a direct influence on our physical wellness as well if you think in terms of psychosomatic disorders or disorders affected by your general mental well being or stress levels. For example, um, diabetes, hypertension, even aches and pains, fibromyalgia, sleep disorders. A lot of that is the interaction between the brain and the body. And linking to that is all the new research that we see in terms of the brain gut bioma. So what is very important for me that if we do not take care of our minds and our mental well-being, it will have an effect on our physical well-being as well and also on our social well-being, how we interact and relate to others in our world and the society.
0: Wow, that's quite a picture there. Um, so, Saran, what comes to mind when we think about this basket of areas of well-being?
1: Yeah, and I, I think Renata makes excellent points that, we need to look at it holistically mental well-being links with our physical health links with our environment links with our social health and i think if we focus on on the emotional and mental health we realize it's a, a vital part as it impacts our thoughts our behaviors our emotions Good mental well-being can encompass things like feeling good about ourselves and being able to function well individually or in relationships, being better able to deal with the ups and downs of life, feeling more connected socially and to our surroundings, feeling more in control of our lives and having a sense of purpose and um, meaning. Um, Being healthy emotionally can promote productivity for ourselves and can help us in activities related to work, school, family life, you know, in the environment. So I think it's really important and something that we really have to care about.
0: Yes. I want to look at some of the things you're passionate about, Renata, because you do a lot of work to promote mental well-being to both your clients in your private practice and, of course, to the students that you lecture.
2: It comes from two We started the whole corporate mental health awareness drive Mm. um, about three, four years ago now, realizing that a lot of wellness programs in corporate organizations focus on medical disorders or physical disorders, um, or it would focus on tuberculosis or diabetes or obesity or whatever, but the mental well-being was often neglected. And we realized that not only does it have impact on a person's well-being, but it also has an economic impact in an organization and even in the country. And therefore, the drive that organizations and individuals, employers and employees, should pay much more attention to their mental health also when they're in the workplace. So we started with this big prize and empowering people in working on their resilience specifically because we can't avoid the stress of life and the stress of work, Mm. but we can work on improving our resilience. But for that, there is some responsibility that the employers have and some responsibility that the employees have. So when we do intervention programs, we focus on both. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit later in terms of some of the things that we can do to to look at our resilience. Absolutely. And in our personal lives. Yes. Um, and we are going to put a
0: greater focus as well on mental well-being and the workplace. So this is what you've just said, I think, really forms a, a great introduction to what will be a bigger conversation later on. Thank you for that. Let's drilled down a little bit more. Great figures, great data that you've provided us, but what does the data on mental health and well-being show? Um, Saran, have you looked at the South African individual, what do we know about people's sense of mental well being in this country and comparatively to the global society?
1: Yeah, definitely. Let me start with maybe the global society, and Renata can definitely add on. Um, but for example, mental ill health accounts for approximately 13% of the burden of disease globally. In South Africa, roughly one in six people suffer from a mental illness. Mental illness is a significant concern worldwide and in South Africa. But when it comes to mental well being, what we see globally, um, the Gallup World Poll, for example, which is a survey conducted in more than 160 countries, shows a U shaped relationship between age and well being, with the lowest levels of well being demonstrated around the ages of 45 to 54. However, this pattern is not universal. It's important to know that higher levels of well-being are also linked with lower levels of disease and mortality. So it's very important to get a good sense of well-being in the country and globally. Mm. In terms of specific data on well-being in South Africa, a lot more is needed. But as Renata has already alluded to, some has been done and it shows that it's a very important and significant problem yeah. in our country.
0: Yeah, I want to turn to the question of positive psychology. What is positive psychology? And maybe we can touch on other related concepts in terms of mental well-being. Renata, any thoughts on that?
2: Sure. I think what we can add there, maybe my my thoughts was more going in terms of how do we assess the impact Mm. of this on our well-being. And once again, and it's maybe coming a bit more from a business perspective, if you have this conversation... People often say in their head in terms of, yes, I know it's important to look after myself. Yes, Mm. I know I need to do something more about my wellness or my well-being. But also in organizations, we often only go over to action if we see what is the cost of not doing something. Mm. And I don't want to use it as a scare tactic. But for example, people can think in terms of... the impact that it has when you do not pay attention to this. In terms of the direct costs it have for you, mm-hmm. your healthcare and out-of-pocket expenses, the indirect costs, are you absent from work? Are your family absent from work because they need to be with you? The lost productivity you have. And then also the intangible costs, like how does my lack of wellness affect my quality of life? It's impossible to measure it really because it will also differ from person to person. Once again, I think what I would like to add in terms of the positive psychology is, is maybe just the things that people sometimes have if we talk about well-being and wellness, that is about, all about meditation and mm-hmm. mindfulness. Now, that is important concepts, but it's merely part of the required ingredients, but it's not necessarily an answer on its own. It always should be integrated. The other thing that I often see in private practice in terms of if we use the word positive psychology, people misunderstand that as well. And they think, oh, I must always be positive. That's not what we say. We, we need you to be realistic, but we want people to believe in their resilience right, in terms of coping in life.
0: Such interesting thoughts. And Saran, you know, when you think of the discipline, what can you tell us about this particular area of psychology? As um, Renata has said, it's not about positive thoughts.
1: No, and I agree completely. It's not about positive thoughts. It's not about being happy all the time because Mm -hmm. sometimes hard and difficult emotions are completely normal and expected emotions, and and that's okay. Mm. To take it one step back and to maybe talk a little bit about the background and the theory of positive psychology. So positive psychology is in part a mosaic of research and theories for many different areas of psychology tied together. By their focus on positive aspects of human behavior. Mm-hmm. So, positive psychology seeks to find the balance um, in the fields of psychology by studying positive human behaviors as a counterweight to what was historically done, which was the study of emotional distress and, and mental disorders. Right. Seligman, who was the father of positive psychology, he proposed that mental well-being or happiness can be specifically broken down into three components. Mm-hmm. These three components are the pleasant life, And this reflects what some might call the good life. This includes seeking activities that are pleasurable or fun, the engaged life. This refers to involvement in activities and relationships that keep one occupied and give purpose to one's life Mm -hmm. and the meaningful life. And this refers to engagement in activities or causes that go beyond our own self-interest. This is important because it's important for us to understand the sources of health and well-being as it is equally important to understand the sources of mental illness, particularly if we're interested and we are interested in preventing illness by promoting healthy lifestyles.
0: Yes. Wow. Those are so clear. A pleasant, the pleasant life, you said, the engaged life, and then the meaningful life. And all three clearly are important. It's not a question of either or. We need to serve all of them for a better sense of well-being. But what erodes our mental well-being? What sort of factors, um, be they external or internal, affect our mental well-being? So
1: maybe I can start mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, Renata has alluded to this previously as well, but there are many numerous factors that contribute to low levels of our subjective well-being right. and the relatively high prevalence we see of, of mental illness. Factors such as poverty, discrimination, political conflict, financial distress, they're often beyond our immediate control. But other factors such as the ability to manage our thoughts, our behaviors, and our interactions are Mm. variably within the control of individuals and can be influencing by changing the proximate environment, circumstances, and thought processes. It's important to be cognizant of these factors, as many things may be out of our control. However, with improved mental well-being, hopefully we can begin to cope better with both these external and internal stresses.
0: Mm. Um, So Renata, can we look at maybe how we support our mental well-being? If you can take me through some of the key lifestyle habits that we all need in order to have optimal mental health.
2: Absolutely, that's one of my passions and I teach the students and also when I work with organizations the acronym called SEEDS S E E D S S and I would like to run you through those factors. But maybe just to connect with what Suzanne said is um, I was it came to mind when she talked about Seligman. I like also to use the selectment with the demon mm. also a guy with mm. But then there's one guy Hans Salai, he was the father of stress research. And he said very clearly, it's not stress that kills us, but our reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to why SEATS is so effective. Because if we're exposed to stress, we use the SEATS model to counter that. That should be our reaction, not the unhealthy option. Mm -hmm. Now, SEATS, as I mentioned, the acronym stands for sleeping, exercising, education, diet, socializing, and spirituality. And there's various, very, very good research that was done for all of these different factors in terms of the influence that it has on our brain functioning and how we use our brain, how the connection is made in our brain, and how does it then translate to resilience, wellness, and health. Now, the first one is sleep. And we know that there is periods in your life where you do not sleep enough. Mm-hmm. But we, we develop such a lot of unhealthy habits. Some of us wear this badge of honor that, oh, I only sleep four or five hours a night. And all the research actually shows that we need six to seven, even seven to nine hours depending if you're short or long sleeper for optimal brain functioning. Mm-hmm. Not only helps it with learning and growth of new cells in your brain, but it also helps us with emotional regulation. If you mm. do not sleep enough the next day, you are more ratty, you will be more emotional, you will be more forgetful. It can even be like driving under the influence of alcohol. Yes. So sleep is crucial, um, and new research often show that during sleep, all the build up of metabolic processes in our brain that accumulates during the day Is flushed out. It's almost like a sewage system. And if we do not sleep enough and all those breakdown products accumulate in our brain, it can even be a risk factor for dementia. If we look at exercise, now, one of the things that we all fall into the trap, as soon as we get busy, we say, oh. I don't have time to exercise. Yeah. Well, that should be the one thing that you should never let go. <laughs> also, often people ask me, if I study a minute, should I sleep more or exercise? I always say, it mm-hmm. do the exercise because in any case, it will improve the quality of your sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, exercise has been shown to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety and depression with up to 47% if you exercise regularly. And it also improves your cognitive function, your concentration with up to 20%. But once again, it's not something that you can do on Monday morning or the day after the holidays or the long weekend. You Mm. should be diligent about it. 30 minutes a day, at least five times a week is what you need for your mental health. For physical reasons, you might need Mm. more. But that is just a brisk walk every day. But just make time for it and do it deliberately and with dedication and every single day. Not once in a blue moon. Um, what is interesting also to know is that, that, as I mentioned, it can help to reduce some of the cortisol levels, which as obviously mental health benefits, but it can also improve the growth of new brain cells in important areas of your brain.
0: Now, this is an area that that, that you're very strong in because you are super fit um, and you're very passionate about leading, by example, leading a healthy lifestyle. And you advocate this quite strongly with your patients for them to adopt uh, healthy eating habits and, and physical activity alongside the therapy with you. So it goes a long way, clearly, in bringing about a healthy lifestyle in order to maintain mental health.
2: Absolutely, and I do believe in practice what I preach. I mean, I would feel hypocrite if I don't exercise and I don't try to look after myself, but I also know how it feels like if you neglect it mm. Um, mm. on the other side, and the patients do call me strict. Um, but I absolutely believe in a realistic approach where medication and therapy is two crucial aspects of any treatment plan. But the other two crucial aspects is addressing the stresses in your life. You need to do something about this stuff. And the, the fourth one absolutely is lifestyle interventions, which is about exercise, diet, but also avoiding substances, where people often will do everything that they're supposed to do, but they think it's okay to over consume alcohol or cannabis or painkillers or or anxiolytics or whatever the case might be.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to 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 seeds then. You've given us the S which is for sleep, E is for exercise. And then a third one, I'm quite curious about education. How does that impact on our mental well being?
2: Now luckily you don't always have to go and do another degree <laughs> because a degree can also be stressful. Yeah. But it is good for your brain. What we mean with education is Constantly keeping your mind challenged, so doing new things, experiencing new things, reading articles, reading books, and preferably not everything online because we don't want overexposure of technology because that has other negative consequences for your health. But it's something as simple as what we call neurobics. It's almost like aerobics for your body, but this is neurobics. It's exercise for your neurons. Mm. That can be anything from brushing the teeth with the opposite hand of what you usually do to be careful for your guns, or taking another road home than what you usually do. It's learning a new language, learning a new hobby. Go and see a, a, a play or a cultural activity, but expose yourself to new things. It is good to read. It is good to study, But as I mentioned, you do not need to go and do another degree. There's various other ways how we can educate ourselves and stimulate our brains.
0: Yes. And what role does diet play? What we put in our mouths and the impact on our thoughts and how we feel?
2: Massively. And that's where, if we reverse, how sleep and diet is also linked. If you sleep the craft, what happens the next day? We stock up on carbs and sugary food which then can, again, lead to obesity. And obesity, again, causes inflammation in your brain, which, again, is linked to depression. So all of this stuff links. But if you think about the brain, this amazing organ that we're blessed with, 70% of the brain is actually fat and water. And the other 30%, the neurotransmitters that do the real stuff, is made directly or indirectly from the food stuff you consume mm. so if you eat junk you basically build junk in your brain if you eat a healthy nutritious, balanced diet we need to make sure that we have a balanced diet that's what actually help our neurotransmitters to function well in our brain we've got
0: socializing next and I guess also added to that as you said last but not least is spirituality
2: yes so socialising once again, when we get busy in today's life, we start to neglect our connections, whether it's our families, whether it's our friends. And Facebook and Instagram and all kinds of other social media platforms became a proxy for real life relationships. But we need that social connectedness. We know that people that socially to make it live longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a very practical example you will see when people are married forever, and the one dies, or a spouse will follow within a couple of weeks or months because they lose that social connection. Now, there's various studies, both in the animal kingdom and in humans, that show that we are social species. We need to invest in deep, meaningful relationships. We don't mean with that you need to go and party every day, but at least pick up the phone and talk to someone. Make sure that you connect with your colleagues. Make sure that you connect with your family and your friends. Um, we all know that happiness is a social phenomenon where they found that most of us need at least four happy, good friends of the same gender. And it has an add on effect. Like, if my good friend has a happy, good friend, a happy, good friend also contributes to my happiness. And it can contribute or add to our happiness up to 36% if we invest in four healthy, meaningful, deep relationships. Mm. The final thing is spirituality, and it's always difficult talking about spirituality because some people see it only as religion, Mm. and some people are against religion. But what we mean by spirituality, it might be religious activity, but spirituality means having that bigger connection with the universe and believing in a bigger power that's been shown that if, if we have that belief that there's something more than only me, that it helps us to feel grounded, it creates safety, it creates um, also more resilience. Mm. But that hope factor that we can have, that things are connected, that we part of a bigger scheme of things and a bigger plan of things. So various studies have shown the benefits of being religiously active, but also in the broader sense of being spiritual and living with consciousness and awareness and taking care of the whole of the universe basically. That was
0: absolutely comprehensive. I think we have tangible, realisable means of supporting our mental well-being from that acronym that you've just laid out. Thank you very much uh, for that, Renata. So Saran, let's look at vitality. Because when you look and think about Vitality, it's designed to actually help us optimize on our well-being, be it physical or mental. But this year, I see that members can look forward to a brand new program that's focused actually on mental well-being. Can you tell us more about it?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, as you mentioned, this is a new initiative and the primary aim of the Vitality Mental Wellbeing Program uh, is to offer a series of interventions which can assist members to improve their sense of well-being and reduce feelings of mental stress Mm. and distress. So there are a couple of objectives to this program. The first objective, number one, is to identify individuals who may be currently experiencing or are at risk of emotional distress, such as depression, anxiety, and to ensure that these individuals obtain counseling from trained counselors or health professionals. Number two, the second objective is to generally promote mental well-being with a specific focus on Improving physical and cardiovascular health, which includes increasing physical activity, introducing mind-body activities, and promoting healthy eating. To enhance mindfulness, to increase social connectedness across all age groups, to improve the amount and quality of sleep, and to support with cognitive training. It's important to note, though, that this is the first iteration of the Vitality Wellbeing Program. Mm. And while the focus at the start is largely on screening and awareness, as the program develops, more interventions will be added so that we can cater for our members' needs.
0: Right. You know what comes to mind? I actually want to know then how do we identify those individuals who may be experiencing or perhaps are at risk of emotional distress? You think of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. So how do we identify them and actually ensure that they obtain counselling from a trained counsellor or a health professional?
1: Yeah, and maybe I can start with what we're doing at Vitality and and Renata can explore just generally how individuals can seek help. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, knowing your health is the first component to the Vitality model. As part of knowing your health, Vitality will be providing screening assessments for depression, anxiety, mental well-being to all our members Um, These screening tools will not only allow members to learn more about their own mental health and well-being, Ah. but will also um, allow members to be awarded points for completion, just really emphasizing our commitment and uh, to the importance of healthy mental health and mental well-being. Mm. Um, These screening tools will be available to our members both online and in person. Mm. Um, And that's just one of the offerings that we're bringing in and incorporating into the mental well-being program at Vitality.
0: So it can serve as a first step to accessing health or it can support uh, you on this journey of health, of mental wellness.
1: Exactly. And one of our partners, and, and we're looking to, to many more partners, but we have partnered with the South Africa Depression and Anxiety Group, who will be able to assist uh, members who maybe have found that they're struggling with certain aspects of these screening tools. We also are looking to make it much easier for our members to reach out and to contact qualified counsellors, doctors, mm-hmm. and mental health professionals.
0: Yes. Any thoughts on that, Renata, on identifying individuals or individuals, in fact, being able to identify that their mental well-being uh, requires more support and potentially professional counselling? I
2: think the very, very first step is raising awareness, and that's, I think um organizations like, well, if you like SADC is also doing a very important job, but also with this new program of vitality, a lot of people are suffering in silence and they don't even know that what their experience is maybe not what they should be feeling or a normal reaction. So, the first step for me is really creating awareness of what is mental health all, and this whole podcast series of you mm. is exactly doing that. The second thing that also well, to have these conversations on as many as platforms as possible, and bigger media is so crucially important because this is the way that we address stigma. And stigma is often a bigger barrier to accessing help than what a lack of access to services are. Yeah. Often people have access to services but because of the stigma of fear to seek help. The last thing is then to really know that what I experience might be symptomatic of something. Mm-hmm. And what I also like to encourage people to do is to be more aware of the people in your environment. We often see someone's or subtle changes in behavior um, before they even notice something. You might just see that maybe your mother are significantly more negative or pessimistic than usual. Mm-hmm. Or your spouse might be having an increase use of alcohol than usual or your child becomes quieter she doesn't seem anymore so there's a lot of subtle things that we can see in our direct environment and at work be alert your your, your colleague that you think oh she's really being so difficult these days or are we drawing from us, what is her issue be aware that you might be struggling so note for emotional changes, for Cognitive changes: people make maybe more mistakes, or things more destructible, and people also do are world changes. Irritability: people that fit for work, and um, people feel that the the work quality has deteriorated. So there's many levels where we can be a little symptoms. I, the one you can be for yourself, more a little symptoms. You can be more alert for symptoms in your significant others or friends and then three also in
0: terms of your colleagues at work. Yes. Ladies, let's now talk about how we support our mental well-being uh, and in particular through what we call the mind-body activities and those very key lifestyle habits that we all need to have in place for optimal mental health. So Saran, expand a little bit more on vitality and what vitality is doing to improve physical and cardiovascular health uh, across all ages.
1: Yeah, and um, just to reiterate a little bit of what Renata has already touched on, but let's start with physical activity. So as mentioned, regular physical activity is associated with a greater sense of well-being and lower rates of depression and anxiety across all age groups. Vitality has been and continues to be very invested in improving the physical health and thereby the mental health of our members. We use a variety of reward mechanisms to encourage our members to increase their physical activity. This could include enabling easier access to gyms, fitness assessments, social runs, running and cycling races, and so on. Mm. Another component to improved cardiovascular health and improved mental well-being is a healthy diet. So as Renata mentioned, the human brain operates at a very high metabolic rate and uses a substantial proportion of what we eat to support its structure and function. Evidence is growing to support an association between dietary quality and mental health. A meta-analysis published in 2018 found that a healthy dietary pattern characterized by high intakes of vegetables, fruit, whole grains, olive oil, low-fat dairy, and oily fish rich in omega-3 fatty acids, Mm -hmm. was associated with a decreased risk of depression. Vitality aims to support a healthier diet for all our members. We do this through our healthy food catalogs, discounts on healthy food, and our healthy food partnerships, to name a few. Mm. We also run a healthy food studio to aid people in learning about healthier ingredients and cooking healthier meals.
0: Wow. Um, But Renata, to you, um, I want to know more about mindfulness. This word came up earlier on. Now we're talking about the mind-body connection and link. What is mindfulness and what role does it play in our mental well-being?
2: So, first, mindfulness is a state of active, open attention on the present. When you're mindful, you observe your thoughts and feelings from a distance without judging them good or bad. You just, instead of just letting your life pass by, you live in the moment and you awaken to experience. A very practical example where I'm sitting now, being mindful would be that I'm on the phone with you. I actually can feel the late afternoon sun shining in on my desk, a little bit in my eyes, Mm -hmm. so I have to close it from time to time. I'm aware of my position on my chair, of my breathing, of just being involved in this conversation. I'm not sitting and worrying about what's going on at home, what's going on at the practice, what is the board is doing outside the business renovations here at the business school. So there's all of those things that we need can be distracted and miss out on the moment. Um, one of the big things that I often see in practice is that people that's not present in the moment struggle with forgetfulness and poor concentration and then they think there's something wrong with them and it's merely that their mind is wandering. So being mindful is living in the moment. When you eat, you taste the texture of your food, the temperature, how it, um, the colors of your food, how it feels in your mouth. And, and that we can even teach children to be in the present here and now. And it's shown that it reduces stress. It has shown that if you can be mindful, it increases grey matter in your brain. Once again, that controls mood, anxiety, fear, memory, and wellness. It even grows the size of your hippocampus, which is crucial once again for learning and memory.
0: Wow. Any thoughts on mindfulness? I mean, in that moment when uh, Renata was just describing being in her office, you know, immediately you're just brought back to, to the presence. So the value and the benefit thereof is absolutely immediate.
1: Definitely, and I, I think
0: I think one of the issues we
1: face is that we're constantly bombarded by information. If it's not our phones ringing or constant emails, we're so used to doing two, three, four things at a time, yeah. and it's sometimes difficult to to become mindful and to become aware of the moment and to focus on the now. Yet it's so important, as Renata stated. Uh, I mean, the goals of mindfulness is to become, you know, aware of our thoughts. Feelings and sensations, that moment by moment awareness and disengaged with strong attachment to beliefs, thoughts, or emotions, and creating that greater sense of emotional well being. Mm. Um, and, and that's why it's so important. Again, at Vitality, you know, we, we recognize and we realize the importance of, of mindfulness. And this is one of the areas that we continue to develop, especially with our partners. And this is something that we want to integrate into our mental well-being program.
0: So as we conclude, I really want to visit this question of the consequences of ignoring these uh, lifestyle habits that, as I said at the beginning, can literally recharge and restore. Our mental well being, what are the
2: consequences? The one thing is that if you are in treatment, say for example, you are in treatment for a mental health disorder, that you will not achieve optimal response to your treatment, your medication, your therapy, if you do not pay attention. To the lifestyle aspects as well. A, it can absolutely work against medication um, and treatment, and B, it does empower you. And for me, a big thing about lifestyle interventions and the holistic approach is it's very empowering. If I, let's take the example again of exercise. We know all the physical benefits, all the brain benefits of exercise, but if me as a person can pause for a moment, being mindful in the moment of my breathing, of my walking, about how my body feels in space, and I actually owe it to myself to consider myself important enough to make that investment in my health. Mm. And then after my walk, I can tick it off. I've achieved something. That sense of achievement is so empowering for someone that also on a neurotransmitter level, it inspires us to do it again and again and again. And we we can then create such a virtuous cycle of well-being.
0: Hmm. So do these methods of supporting mental well-being work for everyone?
2: Sometimes we have to, well, a lot of times, we're talking to the converted. And mm-hmm. sometimes in my practice, I need to repeat the message once, three times, fifteen times. And then one day, the patient comes back and they tell me, Doctor, you know, I've started this. You should have told me long ago. <laughs> I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> so, but then when the p- people really start investing in their own health from a holistic perspective, um, through the seeds model, through mindfulness, when they see the benefits, it's actually such a small change that you need to invest in, such a small little piece of your time every day that can make such a big difference. And it takes away the sick role, it takes away the victim role, but I'm an individual and I actually have the power and the resilience to take control of my wellness and my well-being. And
0: for you, Sarant, do you believe that it can work across the board for everyone?
1: Yeah, well, look, mental well-being is an integral part of our lives, at Bermain, yeah. as we've discussed. And many people get great value from the techniques and the activities that we've discussed. However, different aspects may work better for each individual. Mm-hmm. Improved mental and physical health can help us live more fulfilled and happier lives. Here at Vitality, we understand the importance of mental well-being, and that's why we look to support all our members Mm. in enhancing their mental well-being and in helping them achieve their health goals. But those two are intrinsically linked. They're just that important.
0: Thank you so much to both of you that really I feel immediately better <laughs> about my outlook, about the state of mental health and what is possible, what's achievable. Thank you. Thank you so much, Azania. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, then make the most of another opportunity to deepen your understanding of mental health. Tune in to listen to an expert doctor and psychiatrist who join me as we delve into managing mental illness. We also chat to two brave young women, Guguma Sondo and Dr. Nogukanya Kanile about their personal journeys through mental illness and how this led them to start public conversations aimed at demystifying these conditions and addressing the stigma faced by those who suffer from mental illness. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit
2: discovery.co.za to listen to our shows.